Well, what's up? We are super glad that you're here today. I did actually bring my puppy with me to church. Did you really say you could hear him? Yeah, he'd be all right. Anyway, so it's it's just, he's he's fine, he's fine, he's fine. Super excited. I hope everybody enjoyed the games last night. Uh, if you're a Notre Dame fan, <laughs> you got your butt kicked. Anyway, uh, super proud of Carolina and the Belt Bowl. And uh, let's see, Alabama and Oakland. Yep, pretty much pretty much turned out like we thought it was going to be. Um, lots of people think that Georgia should have been in um, rather than Oklahoma. You think that, Jeremy? Are you with me on that? Completely. So there we go. So anyway, super excited you're here. Let me just say this before we dive in today. I'm going to talk about it more at the end. Opening weekend at Second Chance is on Sunday, January the 27th. Je okay? We moved it back two weeks. And the reason I'm saying that is because maybe you didn't tune in last week, so you missed that we've moved it back two weeks and it because of some building and uh, fire code issues and stuff like that. Nothing big, nothing too much to get excited about. I'm saying that because we, we had to move it back. And I'm also saying it because people are leaving comments on social media saying, I showed up to church last week and nobody was there. It's because we're not there yet. So anyway, super, super excited. If you have a Bible and you want to dive in today, I want you to go to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3 is where we're going to eventually wind up. And I want to start out by saying, as a pastor, I was thinking about this when I was bringing my puppy to church this morning. Um, one of the things that I do a lot, and maybe you've done this as well, if you've ever been in church or had any church experience, is invite people to church. You've asked people, hey, would you come to church with me? Would you come to worship service with me? And just like me, you probably get very different answers. Um, sometimes people just say yes, no come. And then sometimes people say no, but they don't just say no. They always have a reason for saying no. For example, I've had people say, um, you know, Sunday's my only day that I don't work. It's a day of, of, of rest. And, and you know what? I get that. You know, a lot of people work six days a week, and then they got that day, that one day, and they, it's kind of like you want to sleep in a little bit and kind of take your time. So I get that, day of rest. Um, some people say, I worship God in other ways. I connect with God in other ways. And I totally get that. I totally get that. Some people say, I connect with God while I'm fishing. And I get that. You're out in the boat. You see the sunrise. It's beautiful. I connect with God while I'm hunting. I, mean, I, I, I get that. You're in a tree stand. You see the sunrise. It's beautiful. I've had some people say, I connect with God on the golf course. And I'm going to have to draw the line there because you don't. You talk about God, but it's not in worship. All right? So lots and lots and lots of people, lots of reasons they do or don't come to church. But the number one reason, the number one reason that I've had people tell me that they don't come to church is the, uh oh, is this right here? The reason I do not go to church is because, and I want you to finish this for me. The church is full of. No, I want you, I want all of y'all to say this out loud. All right, let's, we're gonna do it again. We're gonna kind of slow this morning. Um, the reason I do not go to church is because the church is full of hypocrites. Now, here's what's cool I didn't give them the answer. You guys know this. This is the number one reason that people say they don't go to church is because the church. Is full of hypocrites. Now, I used to have a comeback for this. I used to say, there's always room for one more. And, and, and because none of us are, are truly, truly, we're all hypocritical in some way, shape, form, or fashion. But I have a friend who pastors a church in the Atlanta area, 
And he made a statement about two weeks ago that I resonated with. It's, it's not that the church is full of hypocrites. The church isn't full of hypocrites. It's much worse than that. In fact, it's far worse than we could have ever imagined. He, he used this statement at the beginning of his message, and it was so good, I wanted to use it here as well. Because it's not that the church is full of hypocrites. It's that the church is, let me just kind of show you his statement. What do you call a group of lying, cheating, greedy, covetous, lustful, porn-watching, tax-dodging, racist, jealous, judgmental, lonely, angry people who eat too much, spend too much, drink too much, medicate too much, worry too much, smoke too much, who gather together because they believe that Jesus is the light of the world and they need more light. What do you call this group of people? You call them the church. It's not that we're full of hypocrites. It's full, we're full of lying, cheating, greedy, covetous, lustful. In fact, everybody watching today can find yourself on this screen somewhere, at least in one, probably more than one of these adjectives, adverbs. I don't know. I've flunked English. All right, but we can find ourselves in this group right here. And, and so I'm not here to defend the church and say it's a bunch of perfect people with perfect lives in a perfect place. Because if you find that church, let me tell you, everything's fake. Something's shady. They're hiding something. This is who gathers together every single week on, on any given Sunday. So here's what I'm trying to say is when we gather together as a group of believers, if we really want to see God work, if we really want to see God move, if we really want to see Jesus do something in our lives, then instead of taking the time to point out what we think is wrong in everybody else's lives, we should just simply walk in with open hands. In fact, if you don't get anything else I say tonight or today, I want you to get this. Open hands are better than pointed fingers. Open hands are better than pointed fingers. I want you to do this. I want everybody to physically do this if you can. If you're driving, don't do this. Everybody open your hands. Open hands. Open hands. If you've got open hands, you can receive something from somebody. Everybody point your fingers. Notice you had to close your hands. I think the reason a lot of people don't get blessings or encouragement or hear from the Lord is they've got pointed fingers. And when we've got pointed fingers, we don't have open hands. And when we don't have open hands, we can't receive what God wants to do in our lives. And so my challenge today and my challenge throughout this series leading up into moving into the building is I want to create an environment where people show up and we have open hands, not pointed fingers. I want to show you what this looks like. Mark chapter 3, verse 1, this is what the Bible says. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue. Now, I want to be very clear. Synagogues were in every Jewish community and they were like many temples, like many churches. They weren't the temple, okay? The temple was in Jerusalem, and it's where everybody went for worship. But the synagogue was kind of local, and every little village had like a synagogue, kind of like every city in Anderson. But actually, every city in Anderson, or every city in South Carolina has 17 churches or whatever. But another time, Jesus went in the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. 
So Jesus goes in the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Now, have you ever, <laughs> have you ever been caught and you, with something and you tried to hide it so somebody wouldn't see what, what, what you had? I remember um, I was at a Clemson game one time, and I used to do this when I went to games a lot. I never took my tailgating food. I just walked around, and after people have been drinking for about two or three hours, you just go and eat all their food. That's just, I just learned how to do that. And so I remember walking up on a tailgate spot, watching a guy, and I knew this guy. He went to my, he went to my church, and he's drinking a 40, smoking a cigarette. And I walked up to him, and he puts the 40 behind his back so fast, he, like, baptized the child behind him. And he put the cigarette behind his legs, like, Pastor P, how you doing? And I was just like, I want to see how long I can carry this out. I was like, I'm doing great, man. How are you? I was like, I'm doing good. And I was like, I think your leg's on fire. Because um, he was kind of, and he just, he was trying to conceal it. He didn't want me to know. Everybody here has probably tried to do something. You tried to hide something from your mom or tried to hide something from your dad or you didn't want somebody to see something on your phone. We'll, we'll talk about that. That's a whole other thing another time. This guy right here, we don't even know his name, but he walks into the synagogue and he had a shriveled hand. Now, while the Bible doesn't say this, let me guarantee you something. He had his hand hidden, probably in a long robe, because he didn't want people to see the fact that his hand was shriveled. And here's why. In the ancient world, if something was wrong with you physically, then they connected to something being wrong with you spiritually as well. So if you were blind, it's because there was something spiritual going on in either your life or your family's life. If you were um, lame, if you were crippled, if you, could not, if you could not hear, or if you had a shriveled hand like this guy, then everybody looked at you and automatically would point their fingers at you and judge you because they thought that something was off in your life. And so when this man walks into the synagogue, it's almost like, it's almost like I would be willing to bet in today's culture he would be the guy or he would be the girl that kind of came in during the last song and was going to sit and listen to the message and slip out during the invitation so they didn't have to really be seen by anybody because, once again, he didn't want to be judged by people because he had this shriveled hand. Now, now I get this. I, under, I so understand this because, um, well, let me say this. Let me say this before I move on. I find it encouraging that he at least showed up to the synagogue because he couldn't go to the temple. He couldn't have his sins prayed for. He couldn't be um, forgiven because he had a physical defect. This was a problem. But it caused me, this right here, just this one verse caused me, my mind to go all the way back to high school and a book report that I had to do. Any of you have to read the Scarlet Letter? Anybody, anybody read the Scarlet Letter? Okay, listen. There's a reason they call the classics the classics. Some of you have heard me say this before. If they didn't call them the classics, nobody would read them, okay? This, was, this book could be summed up in, like, I bought the Cliff Notes. I didn't read the whole book. Basically, this woman had sex with a man. She, had, she, you know, she wasn't married to him, and she, she had to wear an A around her chest the whole time, like, in town. And I started thinking, what if every single person walking in the church on every Sunday got a lanyard and you had to wear the sin or I had to wear the sin, the most common sin that we committed that week. You know, gossip, you know, lust, porn, whatever. Like how many people be showing up to church? And, and if they did show up to church, that'd be really interesting conversation, wouldn't it? Because we'd all be looking at each other's sign to see what each other did. 
Because if I can find somebody, don't miss this, if I can find somebody with a worse sin than me and I can point at them, then I pointed finger. But, don't miss this, pointed fingers, pointed fingers means we can't have open hands. So we see this guy, he's in the synagogue, he's probably very self-conscious over the fact that he has this shriveled hand, and verse 2, the Bible says this, some of them, meaning some of the Pharisees, some of the religious leaders, were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Now, I want to stop real quick. I know some godly people in my life. I'm sure you know some godly people in your life. But how godly do you have to be to accuse Jesus? I mean, can, can we just all admit that's, that's, you've gone a little too far? That's what these guys are doing. They're looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. So you got a guy with a shriveled hand and you got a guys with pointed fingers and they're ready to point their fingers at Jesus and they're ready to point their fingers at the guy with a shriveled hand. Now, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes we can get so righteous, and this has happened to every one of us, that we can't see the faults in our own lives. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. I remember um, several years ago, I got asked to do a wedding, officiate a wedding. I've always loved that term, officiate. It's like, it's like you're in a boxing ring or whatever. It's kind of true sometimes. Um, you know, you show up and everything's tense at the wedding. This wedding was tense because the groom was black and the bride was white. Now, most people don't have issues with this anymore. And if, if you do, if you're watching, you have an issue, the 1950s called, they want you back, all right? I mean, it's, it's time to move on. And, and I, I won't even debate that issue anymore. It's just, it's ridiculous. Um, and I've had some people go, well, you shouldn't mix races. Well, how do you know what race you are? You don't even know the name of your great-great-great-grandfather. How do you know what race they were? Just want to throw that out there. Have fun with that today. Merry Christmas. The groom's father, I mean, the bride's father was very upset about the interracial marriage taking place. Now, I've never met him. I've never met him. Um, and all I heard was how upset he was and uh, that it could be an issue. Like, they weren't really sure if he was going to walk her down the aisle because he did not prove of interracial marriage was what I was being told to me. And so I show up at the wedding not really knowing what to expect. <laughs> I get, I'm not making this up. People, you can't make stories like this up. I get to the, to the wedding. I'm getting ready to go in and talk to the bride. I've never met the bride's father. He walks out, introduces himself as the father, and my mouth hits the ground. You say, why? He was Hispanic. I'm not making this up. He was Hispanic and had married a white woman. But he was telling everybody, I've got a problem with interracial marriage. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I literally had to go be by myself for 10 minutes so I didn't mess up the wedding. He was so obsessed 
with what something that he thought that was wrong, which by the way isn't, which something he thought he was losing sight of the very fact that he said he had a problem with interracial marriage, but he was interracially married. And it blows my mind that we do this sometimes. We'll say, I have a problem with somebody doing this. I have a problem with somebody doing this. I have a problem with somebody doing this. And every time we're pointing our fingers, we're missing the opportunity for God to do something in our own lives because we're so obsessed with what we perceive that other people are doing wrong. And that's what the Pharisees, the Pharisees were so righteous and so godly, they thought that they were to the place where they could actually accuse Jesus. And that always goes bad. In fact, let's look at the next verse. The next verse says this. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Now that's, that's kind of weird. Because if you're at the, think about it, you're at the back of the church service, kind of snuck in, and the preacher goes, hey, 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 I need for you to stand up and come up here in front of everybody. You just got called out. Now, all of us know what it's like to be called out. Well, like how, many, how many of you have ever gotten pulled over for speeding? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's everybody, just about. I was driving in Anderson the other day. Me and Karis were in the truck and we pulled on to Marchbanks. If you live in Anderson, you've probably got a ticket on Marchbanks or Bellevue. Um, and I pulled on to Marchbanks and I said, I said, baby, this is why I got my, this is where I got my first speeding ticket. And she said, why'd you get a speeding ticket? I was like, I was going too fast. She said, you do that all the time. I was like, I know, I know, but sometimes you get caught. Um, and then she wanted to know why I broke the speed limit. And then I explained to her that the speed limit is more of a suggestion. Anyway, but I, I can, I know what it's like just two years ago, I remember the blue lights, seeing them come on behind me, and I was 45, and my first thought, the first thought that ran through my mind is my dad's going to kill me. And, and I'm 45 years old, and my dad's dead. But, but that's the first thought that ran through my mind is because I felt like I'd been caught. I felt like I'd been called out, which is what I'm sure this man felt like. It's just like when we see the blue lights in the mirror, we feel called out. This man, all of a sudden, hears Jesus tell him, Stand up in front of everyone, and you know what? I, I would be willing to bet you that he thought he was going to be shamed. That he thought Jesus was going to say, why are you here with your busted up hand? Why are you here with your shirt? Like, why did you walk in? Why did you think you could show up today? I'm sure he was expecting he was going to get more of the same from Jesus. But see, Jesus didn't, show, Jesus didn't even show up on earth with pointed fingers. He showed up with open hands. To model for us that when Jesus calls out to us, he's, he's not doing it because he wants to shame us, but ultimately because he wants to celebrate something in us. But if we're going to truly see Jesus do a work in our lives, then we can't keep something hidden from him. And so Jesus calls out what everybody else perceives to be wrong in this man. So here, here's what I'm saying. If we're going to have open hands and really listen to what Jesus wants us to listen to, we've got to be comfortable stepping into the uncomfortable and the unknown. This man had no idea what Jesus wanted to do in his life. So being called out in front of everybody 
was both uncomfortable and unknown. But if we're going to have open hands and step into what Jesus ultimately wants us to step into, we're going to have to be okay stepping into the uncomfortable and the unknown. And the only reason I would say that it's okay to step into the uncomfortable and the unknown is because of who Jesus is. Ultimately, he is good. And he wants greater things for our lives than we actually want for ourselves. So when he's asking us to step into the uncomfortable and the unknown, it's always because ultimately he wants to bless us and work out all things for our good. Now, this man with a shriveled hand, he doesn't know this. He doesn't know this. Imagine if this was you. You've got the shriveled hand. You're trying to hide it because you don't want people judging you. All of a sudden, you get called out by Jesus in front of everybody. And you are right in the middle of the uncomfortable and the unknown. And everybody's eyes are on you. The Bible says, then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good? or to do evil, to save life or to kill. But they remained silent. See, Jesus, Jesus calls this guy up and then he turns to the people with the pointed fingers and says, what's the, what's the right thing to do right now? What's the right thing to do? A friend of mine named Bob Goff says it this way, what does love require of me? Right now, in this situation, what does love require of me? It's not something that you can put in a system. For example, I'll tell you just something that happened to me uh, three weeks ago. I've got a general rule, that, and this is just my general rule, that if people walk up to me on the street, and I get this a lot because I live downtown Anderson, people walk up to me on the street and ask, for, ask me for money, I just say, no, no, I'll, I'll buy you some food, I'll, I'll buy you some, some water, whatever. I said, but, but no, I'm not going to give you any money. But um, three Sundays ago, I'm walking home, and a guy walks up to me, he said his name was Leroy, that's all I know. He walked up and he said, he said hey man, my name's Leroy, and he opened up a box of food, and he said, these people that I just ran into just gave me some food. He said, but I, he literally, his exact words, I ain't got no money to buy something to drink. Can you give me some money to buy something to drink? And I've got a system in my mind. I was about to walk him through it and say, you know what, Leroy, I don't give money, but da, 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 da. But the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, Ask him what his name is. I said, what's, what's your name? He said, my name's Leroy. I said, Leroy, how much money do you need? He said, ah, I'm going to need about maybe three or four dollars. I said, Leroy, what are you going to do with this money? He said, I ain't going to lie to you. Sometimes I drink some beer. I said, Leroy, I know the struggle. Uh, and so anyway, we had a great conversation. I reached in my pocket. All I had was a $10 bill. And I I was like, I'm not giving this guy $10. And God was like, in this moment, right now, it's what love requires you to do. So I gave him $10. And he looked at me and said, man, I don't care what they say about you. You a good man. And he gave me the biggest hug. And I was like, oh, my gosh, homeless people are talking. Anyway, it was, it was one of those situations where I had in my mind something that I always said, I will never do this, I'll never do this. But all of a sudden, I'm faced with a situation 
And God speaks to my heart and says, what does love require you to do right now in this situation? Now, here's what I've learned since then. The greatest thing for that gentleman wasn't that I gave him money. It was that I took the time to actually look him in the eye and ask him what his name is. I, that's just, I just want to put that out there. People that are asking for money, people that are homeless, they all have a name. And if you take the time to learn their name and kind of dive into their story a little bit, it might soften your heart. It, it, it's just something that's happened to me. I thought I would share that here. And anyway, hadn't seen Leroy since. But Jesus asked them, hey, guys, what's the right thing to do? And they stayed silent. They stayed silent. So watch this. He looked around at them in anger. Now, this is where, I, this is where you got to teach. Ang anger is not a sin. Anger is not a sin. Out of control anger is a sin. Jesus was angry. He did not punch a hole in the wall, okay? That, that's, that's, okay. Jesus was angry. He did, like, he, he, like, he was angry. I um, was hanging out with some friends one night, and a girl, was supposed to sh a girl was supposed to come hang out with us. She was a, a relative, and she showed up late. And I was like, why were you late? And she said, I almost got in a fight at Walmart. Now, a couple things about my family. Number one, we're all rednecks. And number two, getting in a fight at Walmart for somebody in my family would like elevate your family status. And so I was like, that's awesome. Why did you almost get in a fight? And she said, true story, that um, she was shopping for a toy for one of her children. And there was a woman there with a child, probably about two or three years old, toddler. Um, and the toddler was kind of asking for something and the mother said no, and the toddler pushed back, and the mother slaps her child in the face and says, I told you no. And so my relative is like, like, like stunned. And th th this was several years ago. This is before like you could like take a video of it and put it up on like YouTube and publicly shame her. And then the kid started crying, and the mother said, stop crying. And the kid cried a little bit more. The mother open-handed slapped her two-year-old toddler again. And my, my relative said, something just snapped in me. Just snapped. And as the kid kept crying, the mother draws back to slap her child again. And my relative walks up, scoops up the child, and held it, and said, if you want to hit somebody, hit me but I hit back. And that, that's what I would call controlled anger. All right. Now there's a lot of people are like, Oh, could have made it for the way. Listen, I, that, that's, that's better than what I would have done. All right. But that, those type of things, those, that, that, that type of anger, that type, that's what I think Jesus was feeling in this moment. The Bible says he looked around at them angry and deep distressed at their stubborn hearts. See, they had stubborn hearts because they had pointed fingers, not open hands. When we have an open hand, we have an open heart. But when we have a pointed finger, we miss the miracle. I want to show you this because this is crazy. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Now, put yourself in this man's position for just a second. He's got a shriveled hand. 
And Jesus tells him to do something that he's never done. Stretch out your hand. He stepped into the uncomfortable. He stepped into the unknown. But because he had open hands, he took Jesus at his word. And because he did what Jesus said to do, the Bible says his hand was completely restored. That's what Jesus wants for our lives. Healing and restoration. But healing and restoration cannot take place in an environment with pointed fingers. It can only take place in an environment with open hands. Because if we have open hands, guess what? We don't have a lot of time to point fingers at other people. This is, this is what... I don't know where you land in political preferences. I don't care. I don't know where you land in college football or pro football team preferences. I don't care where you land in mountain or beach preferences. I don't care where you land. All of us are going to have to come to an agreement on this, right? This, we're going to have to agree, is a miracle. Yes or no? Yes. It's absolutely a miracle. When somebody who has a hand that's all jacked up gets their hand restored right in front of everybody, we're all going to have to agree that this was absolutely a miracle, which is by the way, the environment that I want us to create a second chance. I want us to create an environment where people can literally be healed and restored, where people can experience Jesus in a way they've never experienced him before. That's why I tell people that if you have pointed fingers, you're not going to really love the environment that we're creating because we're not going to be about the pointed finger. We're going to be about the open hand. Because you know what the open hand can do? The open hand can actually turn into open arms that love the people that need love the most. We're not going to be the group of people that kick people out because they have the shriveled hand. We're going to bring them in. Now, I want to, I want to stop because everybody says, I'm excited about a church that's for messy people. And I've discovered that everybody's excited about a church for messy people until the messy people show up. But here's what you need to understand from, from the senior pastor down. Every one of us is messy. Every one of us needs to have open hands. Because if we have open hands, we don't have a lot of time to have pointed fingers. This is the verse, this next verse, that absolutely blows my mind. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Anybody think that's weird? Anybody think that's weird? I think it's weird. Jesus just healed a man. A man who had had a messed up hand for we don't know how long. And Jesus healed on the Sabbath, which, don't miss this, he broke their religious rules. Now, it was not in the scriptures that you could not heal on the Sabbath. But the Pharisees, what they did is they made up extra rules, right? And, and then extra rules and extra rules and extra rules. And Jesus broke one of their extra rules. And here's what I've discovered about religious people. When you break their rules, they will break God's rules. You say, Perry, that's kind of bold. Well, doesn't the Bible say you shall not kill? What were they planning to do to Jesus? Kill, kill him. They were so blinded by their pointed fingers, they couldn't even see their own hypocrisy. And because of this, because of this right here, because of this, 
they missed the miracle. This is why some people can't celebrate when somebody gets saved. They can't celebrate when somebody... Have you ever been in an environment where somebody prays to receive Christ and there's somebody standing by going, well, we'll see. I'm like, what the freak? They just prayed to receive... Well, I don't know. I think I've seen this before. Oh my God, you're missing a miracle. When somebody gets baptized or when somebody prays to take... Or when somebody takes their next step in their walk with Jesus and people try to downplay it, they left the scene of a miracle and said, we've got to kill Jesus. And ultimately, the reason Jesus got killed is because he kept breaking religious rules because religious rules were all about pointed fingers rather than open hands. So at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we miss the miracle when we have pointed fingers rather than open hands. So the question, the question we got to wrestle with today is are we the type of person that has a pointed finger or are we the type of people that have open hands? Because I'm going to tell you, second chance, second chance is going to be an open-handed church. These are the kind of people we want showing up because if we're doing this, we don't have time to do this. Let me say this before I close. Maybe you're just like the man with a shriveled hand who showed up and felt like you had something to hide today. You feel Jesus is trying to call you out. And the reason he's calling you out, it's because, don't miss this, don't miss this. He can't heal what stays hidden. He can't heal what stays hidden. The reason he's calling it out is not because he wants to shame you. It's because ultimately he wants to heal and then celebrate in you and with you and through you what he's done for you. And, and when he does heal you, don't ever feel bad about celebrating it because the only people that can't celebrate the healing are the people with the pointed fingers. With that in mind, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this story. And thank you so much. We don't even know who this man is, but we thank you for his healing. Father, I pray that today that we, starting with me, would be the type of people that simply have open hands when it comes to the work that you want to do in our lives. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, if, if it's possible, wherever you are, I'll ask you the question, do you feel like Jesus has been calling you toward him in a way. Jesus has been trying to deal with something in you. That you're like the man with a shriveled hand and you're trying to hide something, but he's, he's going, hey, let, let me deal with that. Let me, let's, let's deal with that. And you know that dealing with that would cause you to step into the uncomfortable and the unknown, but what you don't understand is when he's calling us out of something, it's only because he wants to do something great ultimately through us. Here's the deal. You can always trust Jesus to do the right thing. So maybe there's something in your life right now today that you need to surrender to him. I'm not going to ask you to send it in via email. I'm not going to ask you to put it on social media. I'm just asking you right now where you are just to surrender that issue to Jesus and say, Jesus, whatever you want, your will be done. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ. 
you never have prayed to receive Jesus. And maybe it's because of the way you've been treated by religious people. And hey, I get it. If you're here today and maybe you realize that for the first time, you've never prayed to receive Christ. You've never asked Jesus into your life because you didn't think you could trust him. You can trust him more than anything you've trusted so far in life. So if you want to give your life to Christ today, I want you right where you are, whether you're watching online or listening on podcast or watching on YouTube, just to pray right now in your heart. Just say, Jesus Christ, right now, I give my life to you. I open my hands, open my heart, come in, Jesus, and take over. Take complete control. Show me how to live for you the rest of my life, the best I know how. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, would you do the hand raise emoji on the Second Chance website? If you just do the hand raise thing, if you punch that hand raise button so we can celebrate. If you're on Facebook, if you'll do a hand raise emoji so we can celebrate with you and know that you prayed to receive Christ and if we can help you um, follow up with you in any way, you can shoot us an email um, just at hello at second chance, hello at my second chance church, or no, it's Perry Noble, right, Carly? Is it Perry Noble? Is it my second chance church or Perry Noble? I forgot. Hello at PerryNoble.com. There we go. That's why we got Carly, because that's why she makes the big bucks, folks, because she knows all the information. Hello at PerryNoble.com. If we can help you with anything, a prayer request, help you take your next step, we would love to be able to do that. Um, also wanted to make sure that everybody knows that once again, we will move in to our facility on Sunday, January the 27th, 2019. We're going to have two services, a 9.15 and 11.15. That's Eastern Standard Time. Somebody will ask, so I had to say it because um, we are in the Eastern Time Zone. Um, we will have a nursery that's for like babies up to two years old. We used to say zero through two, but I don't think a baby's zero. That'd be weird. Um, so babies up to two years old, we will have nursery. If you're interested in volunteering, we will have a couple more volunteer meetings. If you're interested in volunteering, you can go to mysecondchancechurch.com and up in the right-hand corner, up in the, there's, there's like a volunteer button you can push because we've had people go, I didn't know. It's because... Well, maybe we didn't talk about it. No, we did talk about it, didn't we? Because we had people show up at the meetings. We've had like several people show up at these meetings. And so if you're interested in volunteering, but that's the new move-in date. We're super excited about it. It's going to be awesome. Um, also, I want to say thank you for those of you that have been giving the Second Chance. You can give online at mysecondchancechurch.com, mysecondchancechurch.com, or you can mail a check-in to Second Chance Church 2010, or 200, 210 South Main Street, Anderson, South Carolina, 29624. Um, and people have asked about year-end giving. As long as it's postmarked by December 31st, then it can go on 2018. But if it's postmarked after December 31st, for integrity purposes, it has to go on 2019. So if you, that year-end giving, you can give online. And listen, for those of you that have been giving, thank you so much. Because of your incredible generosity, we're able to step into this brand-new facility debt-free and, and that is an amazing accomplishment for a church. It sets an unbelievable foundation for us to take off like a rocket. So we're super excited about it. We'll see you next week um, for the continuation of this series called Any Given Sunday. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.